Before we get started with this episode of the Artists and Emotions podcast, I just want to put a bit of a trigger warning out there. This episode is going to contain mature material such as strong language, talks about depression and therapy, and discussing the Writers and Actors Guild strikes that are currently going on right now. Because in terms of the strikes, it's something that not only the actors, the writers, but the entire entertainment industry as a whole has been needing for a long time. And these strikes are important and they need to happen. So if you're uncomfortable with any of the things I've mentioned before, I recommend not listening to this episode of the podcast. But with all that being said, let's begin. What the fuck is going on? Yes, you were right. There was no way we were going to be able to make this work. Come on, can't you just tell me what's Why? going on? Why should I? It's not like you listen to anything I have to say anyways. Jesus Christ, you're just tired and emotional. Put the stuff. Fuck you, Todd. Liz! I don't want to hear it, Todd. I don't want to hear God it. Damn it, Alyssa. Just hold on no. a minute. No, I am done with you. Just leave me alone. No. I no! No, I said let go! What the hell is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What about what's wrong with you and your fucking note? Well? Okay, you just need to calm- No! Don't you dare tell me to calm down. Do you even know why I agreed to come out here, even though you've done nothing but treat me like shit since mom died? Well? No, you don't. Because you've done nothing to help me and I thought that we could bond over something. Anything. But no, I get to stand back and find out that the only reason you agreed to come here is because you're going to kill yourself tomorrow. And you don't even have the guts to look me in the eye when you do it. So no, Todd, I am done. And I am done saving you. Just let me go. Liz. No. Don't touch me. I gotta go. Welcome to the Artists and Emotions podcast. I'm your host, Cody Alexander Curtis. And we have reached the final episode of 2023. Now, most of the time, if it's an end of season of television or the end of a podcast or an audio drama there's generally something pretty special that happens well that this is no different i have with me wallace douglas now you might be asking why this is special uh well that clip i showed at the very beginning of the show is a film i directed a year ago called broken petals and wallace was the very, very talented individual across from me who absolutely crushed it. And she is actually here with us today. How are you doing, Wallace? (laughs) Hi, that's so, so unbelievably flattering. It's, uh, I can't believe that those words are even associated with me in this moment. (laughs) Hey, you absolutely, you you crushed it. And man, we haven't, we haven't like officially, officially seen each other since probably the last time we were on set together which was yeah anybody who wants to know it was last it was like last year yeah it was it, it was last september i just sort of for any of you who is wanting to know how wallace and i met each other broken pedals is how it happens because 
me and our beloved co-director and cinematographer zach wheaton uh, love that <laughs> yeah honestly i have a feeling that th- this episode in particular is going to be partially talking about mental health and then us just gushing about the people we yeah, worked with <laughs> so <laughs> so zach wheaton is a very good friend of mine and broken pedals was the thing we were like we want to do something different here and we we want to make something professional and so that for me started with not asking my friends to audition with it. It was sending out a professional casting call and Wallace was one of the people who answered it. It was and- crazy. It was through my friend Ian too, who I met on set for challengers, which is now not releasing till 2024. And he was like, you should submit to this thing. And I was like, what's happening. So it's crazy how we met, like you did it professionally. And I met you through my friend Ian who saw it through, I think an Emerson, like, uh connection i don't even know it felt very official for me at the time (laughs) yeah and it's i i find it very interesting so for those of you who are interested i did an initial call and then i did a i did a callback the thing was though after wallace's initial audition i knew it was either going to be her or it was going to be one other person, which for any of you who have been listening to this podcast, it was Sam Kirian, who absolutely love her. But what I told Sam and what I have told you and the reason I ultimately ended up going with you is because you didn't feel like an actor. You felt like (laughs) every time you auditioned, it was like, it was like actually watching real. It was like watching life, which is what I was trying to go for. And you absolutely crushed it. I, I, I mean, I have, I have sang your praises over and over and over again when it comes to that. And I, the amount of people that have come up to me telling me specifically about your performance since that since they've seen the film like no joke i have had a few people reach out to me and they've been like you know if wallace isn't busy um i might have a project in the future you should let her know oh my god please (laughs) with this whole strike and literally like no that's so flattery but i think you also have to give yourself credit for one it is so hard to get short films especially like truly truly independent like not even waiver budgeted films made and then to weed through, I can't imagine being from the other side. And it's flattering to hear that, you know, it felt like real people, like not like acting, because that's definitely the hardest part of everything <laughs> is like, you're trying to remember things and you are performing, but the whole goal is to not feel or the audience not feel that. But it's props to you and Zach at the end of the day for also putting all of that together on if anybody doesn't know, like the most shoestring budget, but with like the most beautiful equipment and background and everything like it was i i've worked on short films that had like kickstarters and stuff and this was not even close i mean we may have done a little bit of fundraising but i mean we would be amiss if we did not give a shout out to a very particular individual and that is jerry <laughs> look guy, when it comes Bro, jerry's to king look, jerry was the man who if you saw it, the clip of the beginning, literally that beautiful plot of land. I I was location scouting in the early stages, as you do. And anybody who has done location scouting knows that it is probably the biggest pain in the ass of the entire process. But yeah, that's why I do it. <laughs> Jerry reaches out to me and he's like, hey, I want you to come take a look at my land. I'm like, 
uh, okay, great. He sent me some pictures. I'm like, okay, let me drive to location. I get there and I'm talking the most beautiful, like in the middle oh, of the woods, it was part of land. And then if, if you've ever been to like coastal lakeside Maine, for those fellow New Englanders out there, out there, like shout out, we're the best. Um, it was this like beautiful off the road lakeside property that felt what you think of when you think of like a nice summer, like going to a cabin with your family type deal. And he had that side house that you found that also, if anybody here watches Yellow Jackets, was so reminiscent of the cabin, except for without like the crazy dead people. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I'm Accurate. a huge fan of that show and I hey. cannot wait for so many reasons for it to come back. Um, but it was crazy that you found that. And then obviously, spoiler alert, he let you film there for free, pretty much. Yeah, because Jerry... Jerry has been in, I'm not going to go into the too many details because that is his privacy, but he's been involved with the arts his entire life. Forever. And I was blown away and in shock because a property to use a property like that and for him to just allow us to do it for free and be so, he was so supportive of the entire thing. And there's some stories we're going to get yeah. into <laughs> because I mean, oh, we can talk forever about simply making uh, I don't remember how many pages the script was, but I think we also did like 16 pages in one day, which <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We, which okay. that's more than like soaps. Okay. And we need to, I mean, once again, th this is why this whole session is going to be a giant shout out session because if it was not, <laughs> For our first and second assistant director, Stephen Bennett mm -hmm. and Maverick Keegan, they took what, honestly, it, it, it probably would have taken up an entire weekend if we did not have them on board. But they took this script and they managed to get us to do 16 pages in six hours while keeping the quality and the consistency so and the high. schedule where it would should be. And... That's the that's the name of the game when it when it comes down to it is that we were able to create something that for the budget we had and for what we were able to create the time was, constraints for it, everybody to know we did this in a day and a half this was maybe it, 18 hours of work for me I was grateful to have our assistant directors cuz as Wallace knows I was not only directing the darn thing, I was also acting in it and I wrote yeah. the script. Yeah, co-leading and your own like script supervisor. I mean, it was crazy. Cody was doing everything. And then me and um, Liz Bishop, who I almost just said Biz Bishop because of her Instagram handle. Shout out to her. Another shout out. Which, she honest, and I were she just was... in the corner being like, we're here when you need us. Um, like, yeah. you want me to carry some of that load? But it was, no, it was... It was just really nice too, because when we um, obviously get further in, I keep sidetracking. Uh, it's, it's okay. I've spent so much time away from the creative process of film production up until um, maybe like the very end of 2021 into last year, 2022. And it was this like breath of fresh air to remember like way back when I was 12, when I get in my story, like why I like filmmakers and why I like filmmaking, because it just for so long I hadn't been there and then doing this with you guys and having just that like gift of despite all of the trials and tribulations we went through and you know doing what we could with what we had it was still to be in a circle of people that all care about the things you care about but also without also some of the pretension that can come from 
the industry i mean like with any industry but just kind of like some of the the attitude and stuff it was just it was so lovely it was a breath of fresh air that i had not had in the longest it was it, it was really really good and i want to i i want to without going into i'll like brief to describe it but we could literally talk about that darn film in the set for like five hours <laughs> but yeah. uh uh, I'll give a shout to to everybody because I think that's important. First of all, uh, uh, Riley Duraps, who was our our drone operator. Yeah, we we got a drone operator for a licensed drone operator for a reasonable price. And first of all, Riley is one of the funniest people I think I've ever met in my entire life. So funny. And I mean, that's that's the one thing I also really loved about the set is the fact that we were laughing the entire time. Oh, the whole time I had to like become emotional and I was like, everybody shut up. Like I need to I need space to like be sad for a second because I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. And then and then there was Travis Harden who gave us some absolutely gorgeous behind the scenes stills in photographs. Hire him, everybody for your photos whenever they're beautiful. And then, and then there was Henry, uh, in terms of the rest of our camera crew, we had Henry Riley and Gabe Hurst, which Gabe Hurst, that that scene we showed at the beginning of, of this uh, of this episode, he's the one who shot that that basically that one or from us walking outside of the cabin until until Walsh knocks me on my ass. <laughs> but respectfully. But he also he also created the score for the film. And if there's mm -hmm. anybody out there who needs someone to create music for any kind of project, I'd say get Gabe on it because in that's you know that's the other thing we that is worth mentioning is that the the quality that we were able to get in every single aspect of the film it was mm -hmm. it was like a a 5 to 6 figure budget and a couple of a couple of my friends who are not they're not like filmmakers but they're in the film criticism space they said that what we what we did if we had gone to them and told them we made it for like half a million to a million dollars they would not have been surprised for for the short especially with inflation rates i'll tell you that yeah let's just talk <laughs> about the expenses of filmmaking shall we but about the fact that we've been in a financial recession since i was like 12 years old <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's that's for this poor podcast my my humor is biting and depressing but i'm good don't worry I'm good. Are we but it's also worth it's a mental that. health. So we'll 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 get there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'll get we'll get there. Uh and then there was uh in terms of the other people we had on set, we had Alora Griswold, who was our second assistant camera. Absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. And then of course we've already mentioned um we've already mentioned Maverick Keegan and and Stephen Bennett. But then there, there is the master not the mastermind known as Ronnie Clement, who was not only our post-production audio engineer, he was our on-set audio engineer and our boom operator. And I swear, I think Ronnie hasn't been involved with like every film production ever in Maine as an audio guy. I believe that, seeing as like every time he posts, I'm like, wait, I know. I, yep, yep, that's that man. <laughs> And once again, it's a combination. Oh, and one thing that I made sure was a priority. We all ate well. And for those of you who are True. listening, 
Wallace was willing to go grab us coffee, but like before we started, and we were all oh very gosh. appreciative of that. It was America runs on Duncan, and so do I, and so do film sets. I, I there, you cannot do anything in this industry without some coffee. And I was like, look, I got to contribute. This is a group effort. I can't cook for the life of me, but I, I can bring you coffee all day and donuts. Yeah, that that also did help. And then shout out to my, my gorgeous, beautiful human being of a mother who, who helped get all the food together to bring to set. Yeah, it was great. And then I'm trying to think if there was, because there was a lot of, there was just a lot of laughter on (laughs) set. Yeah. We've got some time. I think that one of my, (laughs) one of my favorite memories, the, the very first scene in the film I'm very close uh, to, to to lighting a cigarette inside of what yeah. is what is Liz's quote unquote house. And one of the takes, Wallace went to grab it and ripped the cigarette in half. I like smack coating in the face, rip this thing in half, start laughing, can't keep it together. And it just and then I was like, do I still try to like like do we keep playing it off? No, 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 no. Unusable take, but a great blooper. Yeah. You should yeah. honestly, not that I'm inviting myself back already after being here for all of five minutes, um, do one with Zach and anybody else we can get if you ever do bonuses and just like a, a memories. Yeah, Anyways, no, not that I, I produce this podcast. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I think I think that's a great idea. And I think it is super important because I think the family and the network you create, even on one film set, is a very important thing when it comes Mm -hmm. to the mental health of being a creative person. So yeah, that's a great idea. (laughs) I think I'm actually, I'm going to write that down because I I think it would be really, really cool for us to just bring everybody back for like, an hour or two to just talk about all of these memories we have of making this thing and just going from beginning to end. I mean, one of, I think there are a couple, there are a couple uh, things that, that I'll talk about that made me laugh, but then I'm going to talk about just why I appreciated the work you brought to that set so much. So there, okay, so number one, there's a scene in the film where I strip down to my underwear and jump into <laughs> a lake. And halfway, like halfway through the day, that was basically the conversation on set. And then when we were going to shoot it, we had we only really had one take to do it because as soon as I jump in, my hair was gonna be soaked. But before that, the amount of jokes that happened on set particularly from zach gabe and travis uh that was that was um that was something and then there was the scene where uh there's the scene where i ended up crying after we have our like Mm -hmm. massive argument so for those listening the scene after uh after the one you just uh watched or listened to uh is a scene where i have a mental breakdown and cry so we were we were in the middle of (laughs) of getting that and somebody was moving around outside little did we know that it was jerry yeah and and steven was kind of stressed out because this is one of our our last shots of the day and yeah. steven just shouts at the top of his lungs hey can you guys do me a favor and shut the fuck up yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> then gabe goes to him he's like um i think That's that was jerry, jerry. That's the boss man. You, and Steven's ooh. like, oh, sorry, Jerry. Nah, it's fine. Well, I'm luck- set. It gets like that. Luckily. Also, for anybody listening, go watch 
broken petals at this yeah. point because we've essentially started to just recap it as the whole episode and it's oh, it that. was it was an experience and yeah i'll put i'll put a link to the episode here and when i put this episode up on youtube i'll put a link there yeah uh which for anybody who's watching who doesn't know uh eventually i did uh upload broken pedals to youtube and now at the time of recording this podcast it is uh it's reaching up on thirteen thousand people who have seen it wait what yeah i didn't like, even check that oh my yeah, god yeah it's like thirteen thousand views on on youtube it's wait that's so cool it's it, <laughs> the last it's... thing i ever put on youtube had like 500 views <laughs> it was when i was yeah. 12 but I, I the thing i i appreciated about particularly what you and liz brought to the set is because i'm sure you've been in this case too where you you get on set and it feels like as much as everybody is is excited to be there not everybody is prepared particularly yeah. in the acting department and yeah. when when you and and liz came to set you were both equally prepared, equally excited to get to work, and both just, you both were amazing. Like, the fact of the matter is, oh, and one thing that, that has been brought up time and time again, apparently we we cast well because you, me, and Liz look like we could be related. We do. Okay, it's actually freaky. And, like, I um saw the first clips of all of us together, and I was like, Liz looks like my mom or like anybody in my family, like aggressively so. And then I was like, Cody looks like my sibling more than my own sibling looks like me. Like my actual sister Nell looks nothing like me. And I was like, Cody and I look the same. Like what? <laughs> Cody just has red hair and I have like blonde hair. It was, it was like actually cool. Cause also it's not like in the beginning you were even trying to specifically cast for that. But yeah, it's like incidences, man. It's yeah, it, it's something that we didn't fully realize until all of us were in the same room together. And then, and then somebody else pointed it out. No, it was great. Also, I'm so flattered because I was so nervous. I was yeah. so nervous the whole day. But yeah, it, it, it's it's <sighs> funny to me because the first I think it was um, it was either the first or second take, which is the one we we went with, which you guys watched in the beginning or listened to. And after we got done, like it was, first of all, I got to say we crushed it. Like that entire scene was so good. But after we got done, like all of us were were complimenting Wallace on how wonderful she did. And she just turns to me and goes, here's the thing. I was just trying to remember my lines. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most classic me sentence of all time. (laughs) But. I mean, here's the thing. That's how you know you did your job, and you did your job extremely well. Once again, I really like the idea of bringing everybody back who can make it at least, and and making like a bigger round of this. That that is an incredible idea, and I'm going to put that into my books. Being that this is a podcast centered around being in a creative space and mental health, it is worth mentioning that Broken Petals itself is a film about mental health and about and about family so i guess that's sort of the next thing we're we're gonna get into but first before we get into that wallace i want to know how you you got into into being here in the first place and what made you so passionate and what drew you to acting because obviously you are very good at it oh (laughs) oh my gosh well 
again, thank you everybody who stood here through this intro. Um, such a meandering story with filmmaking because it's been one of the most central parts of my life, but also in some ways one of the most like hidden, like distant parts. Um, and what that means is basically I grew up uh, a very like creative, like little weird quirky kid playing with dirt at the recess. You know, I was playing make-believe dragons ever since I was a kid. And so I always loved to read. I had an imagination. My teachers knew it. And also um, I couldn't stop talking and I talk very fast. So <laughs> here we are. But when I was 12, my mom didn't know what to do with me in the summer. Um, and she had, you know, her own things to do. So she put me in this film camp and it wasn't like an interlochen out in Michigan. It wasn't these cool, like really professional film camps. It took place in a barn in Hamilton, Massachusetts, um, near where, oddly enough, piece of history, the Patton family of General Patton of World War One or World War Two. Mm -hmm. History wasn't my major. Um, his son is a documentary filmmaker and wanted to do kids camps for filmmaking and started doing it in this very random place. And I was there for four years and I made mostly stop motion animation videos, two of which went to uh, youth film festivals, which was very cool. I had no idea what that meant when I was a kid, but it was awesome. And that's where, when I was 14 and I was at the National Film Festival for Talented Youth in Seattle, um, in the kids section, there were like USC filmmakers and Florida State and like, all of the best professional college age filmmakers were there. And then me with my Justin Bieber pixie haircut, it was disgusting. It was 2012. Um, I got to meet, they got to do a session where you got to meet people who worked in the industry and I was young, but these people are like, Oh no, you can do this as a job. Like when people say they want to be doctors, like you can also be a filmmaker. And I was like, that's awesome. But then um, I did theater in high school, a lot of musical theater, <laughs> believe it or not, um, which whenever say, I say I'm trying to remember my lines is because theater was never my strong suit because you had to remember your lines at all times the whole time and you don't get breaks. Um, but I went to college and ended up really being around writing and academia for a while. And I, I always had film in the back of my head as something that I loved, but I was like, oh, that's not practical. Like, I, you know, I'm good at school. I'll do a writing major or I'll try to, you know, work in copywriting or marketing or something, which great for those people, but soul sucking like that. And I, you know, poked around after college and then the sweet, sweet pandemic happened. And it basically had been about eight years since I'd really worked with actors in a camera. And then right before I met Cody, I decided in Boston where, um, I was based, you know, I'll just get on set, I'll do whatever. And so I did some extra work. And that's where I started networking with all these people in New England who do filmmaking and love it. Um, and I can't say I love background all the time, especially uh, non-union background is a bit of a, <laughs> I don't know if Cody can comment. It can, I, everybody's very nice. It's just sometimes it's a, you know, it is what it is, um, but I respect yeah. I respect the hell out of the people that do that for like the SAG members that do that. And that is their career is background acting day in and day out. And they make healthcare on it. I, you know, one, no big, my strike stance, no to the AI where they scan you can use you for the rest of the movie, like background actors. It's tough, but you need them there. And so I made my way back to film through that and then through Cody. And then since then, 
this past year, which is crazy to say it like that, it's been a whirlwind of, I've worked on a number of short films. I spent a couple months in LA. I did a showcase. I just got an agent about two months ago. Hashtag thank you, Tiffany from the Osberg Agency for taking a chance on me. Um, it's been real quiet since because the strike started right after that. But mm. I've been auditioning since and it's just been this crazy turnaround from me thinking, a year and a half ago, like, I wish I was doing this. I wish I was doing this, watching every show and being like, I, I you know, I want to be there. I see myself there to finally taking some steps. And it's tough. And especially as we all know right now, um, well, at this time, the strike is still happening. Um, it's tough when you're not seeing calls and you're maybe not getting the work as much, but that doesn't mean the community is not there. And also like, just because you didn't grow up your whole life wanting to be an actor or telling people you wanted to be an actor which was harder or going to the number one schools or not even going to school but going right to LA at 18 anything like that doesn't mean you can't also turn it around and try which has kind of been the craziest piece for me is that you're allowed to try and it's sometimes it works which has been the craziest part is every time I get like another little mini milestone or a win or something I take this moment I'm like oh my god like this is crazy. I couldn't believe maybe six months ago that I would be even, you know, in this situation. So that rambling talk is how I basically went from having it in my heart as a kid to being where I am now, where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I had an audition for an AMC project like last month. Like that was crazy, you know? Now the strike's happening, so I'm not doing it just, just so everybody knows. But <laughs> <laughs> I am not a scab. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah which, just, it's wild. Yeah, which I think being in the position that we are uh, being in the position that we're in uh, talking about the strike and talking about everything that's sort of going on right now with the industry, which I agree with you. The fact that you start pursuing things, especially if you go like all out with it, the mm -hmm. whirlwind of stuff that comes your way is a, is a bit nuts, which I don't think we haven't seen. We haven't seen each other since September, so I haven't told you what's happened since i moved down here to georgia yeah like you so even yeah please so basically okay for for those of you who are listening yes this is the last episode yes this is coming out in december when we're recording it it is actually august 7th which fun fact, we plan ahead this is this is august 7th is the it is the anniversary date of when we actually cast wallace as our our lead in broken pedals hey yo so basically what's happened since I moved down here in March is first of all, got an agent. That's something that happened. And there's a couple of independent projects, which I, I got cast as the lead in while I've been I down know. here. Cody works all the time. It's crazy. And then obviously for those who are listening, you know, I started the podcast. Um, but then the other thing is at the current time of recording this, I, I just got a manager. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, I think I just saw that post. Congrats. Cause that's yeah. wild. So it's, it, it's interesting how it happened. Cause for me, it's like for any of you who are, don't know sort of the ins and outs of the entertainment industry, agents are, are basically designed to get you paid work and to open yeah. doors for you. Managers are there to help you build your career. And, yeah, and, so like and advise and make sure that the choices you do make and also like talk to your agent and be like maybe you should ask 
send them money. Kind of be the person day to day in your court and your agent is the person who kind of gets you more of the breakdowns and such is how I understand it. Yeah. And for this, it's like, I will say that obviously it's early stages. Like I just, mm -hmm. I just signed with them. And the thing is though, th the way that they write the, from, mm -hmm. from the paperwork at the beginning that needed to be signed to all the emails they've sent since then, mm -hmm. it is so client and detail oriented. And That's for, so great. for me, it's, it feels like a logical next step, but at the same time, as someone who's been trying to pursue this for a long time, mm -hmm. this feels like it is the next big step. Uh, the thing mm -hmm. is, it's in this industry, you get one of those, you better hold on because you have no yeah. idea what's happening <laughs> next. <laughs> but You just want to feel like you're like, okay, I'm going to take this win because I don't know when the next one's coming. Yeah. And there's, I mean... There's a couple other things. There's a couple other things that happened, but those I can't exactly talk about right now. I will talk to you about them, Wallace, after after we get Gary. <laughs> we'll have Gary. a secret combo. Yeah, exactly. But yes, let's return back to talking about the strike. Because if mm -hmm. there is a subject matter in the creative space, when it comes to mental health, the strike is definitely at the forefront of it for a lot of people right now. Probably us included. <laughs> Yep. It's I don't even know where to start. I mean Yeah, let's just let I mean, let's just start for for people who aren't exactly in the know or keeping their nose into like deadline or variety or any of this stuff who don't know what's going on with the strike. Uh first of all, uh you pr everybody who's listening probably knows about SAG going on strike cuz that was like mm -hmm. the big thing. The WGA went on strike about three to four months ago before before, before SAG, SAG went on strike I was in LA when uh the WGA was voting on whether they were going to strike and then right when I left was when they had just started and I remember I had been having coffee with a couple um producers and development people that I used to work with um way back I interned in college for some development companies and they were like, we don't know if the strike's going to happen, but if it does, maybe it'll get resolved quickly. Um, no. No. It's, no. Um, needless to say, the AMPTP is definitely holding out. Um, I'm a big union girly, so I, I just say pay your writers. I mean, they're the people that give me material to bring to life, and they're the people that make, you know, the production companies their money at the end of the day. So... My take on the strike is I think sometimes the conversation has been a bit too focused on the AI of it all. Not that that's not an issue because it completely is in the way that it can be the next like exploitative um, technology to come through when obviously it can be helpful in certain circumstances, but there's a give and a take and obviously it needs to be included within everybody's union contract. But I think what's also not quite understood, at least by friends of mine who maybe aren't as involved in the industry or don't uh, aggressively look at the business side just as I've had to for work for the past couple of years. Oh yeah. Um, the residuals piece is what is the most alarming and the lack of transparency from production companies for streaming views and such is the reason they struck back in 2007 was for DVD residuals. And now it's the same thing. I mean, it's wild to believe that even for say um, like Sydney Sweeney's whole example, even though now she's yeah. a huge star is when she first did euphoria, she was paid money to do each episode, but she to this day, nobody from that show, except 
I think because Zendaya is now EP on season two, nobody else is making residuals from that for a show that's so huge. It hurts when there's a strike and there's no work. And obviously to all of us actors who are not part of the percent that are so, you know, financially comfortable at the point where they can take time off. Um, or, you know, when you're just starting to ramp things up like I was and then things paused, it can be really disheartening. But I think at the end of the day, it's more important to make producers and suits have these conversations and to really show that as much as you can try to run a creative industry like a tech company, at the end of the day, it's just not going to work. And to keep the talent you have, to keep, you know, winning the awards and getting your advertisers and, you know, at the and also getting everybody paid is you have to start at the very bottom. It's true. It, it's very true. And we've sort of briefly touched on why this is important, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little deeper in, in saying for those of you who are listening, if you want to know the severity of how, how bad things have been since the strike started. First of all, I'm going to I'm going to lay some statistic down for the writers and the actors. For those of you who don't know, a good like if you want to get into the like the top 1% of of writing, that that is fantastic. A 98 to 99% of writers, they make, I mean, you know, for 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 big pe- for people who work a lot, you you know, you figure they make like let's say 2 to 300,000 a year. No. no, on no. average, it is um it is seventy five thousand dollars a year, if that it's, for people working also, continuously. It's for working continuously, and then also I'll say because my major in college was writing, and at first I thought that's what I wanted to leave with, and then uh, for me it was too lonely, and I had to stay with myself too much, and I was like, I just want to be the person on the page. So I respect writers for being able to grind that way by themselves. Um. But a lot of these writers out there for features also write spec scripts that get bought. They get paid once. And then half the time their name isn't the name you'll see um, in theaters as the official screenwriter because those will be yeah. the people they bring in at the end. So a lot of screenwriters who write projects you've seen, you've never, you'll never hear of them. And then TV rooms. I mean, uh, did you hear about the mini room, which was kind of what came about in the strike, the mini yeah. room concept where they were trying to say um, just a showrunner and two other people should be everything. And I was like, how are you going to train more writers if you can't have a room? You yeah. know, like that's it's it's not it's important a, for everybody, including the showrunner, to have other people there. Yeah, and if we're besides the writers, um, I'm gonna move into uh, just SAG in general when it comes to number one health insurance. But yeah. if you if you guys want to know how bad it has gotten from like the AMPTP uh, side, I'm gonna break that down for you in a second. But first. On to make to qualify for SAG AFTRA union insurance, you have to make a little over twenty six thousand dollars a year just by acting, and eighty percent of eighty seven percent of actors can't make it. And like that's so hard. <laughs> like it is difficult. Is the insurance good? I mean, yeah, probably. But the fact that eighty seven percent of actors are making less than twenty six thousand dollars a year and they can't get health insurance. It's not good. And to go further off of that, I just want to point out one major thing that that one studio executive thought would be a good idea to put out into the public. And that is that in certain spaces, they are willing to let the writers and actors strike for so long that they start losing not only their insurance, 
but their houses and they have to they had to eventually move out or or you know go homeless yeah. yeah that was that quote came out i think it was through was it through deadline or variety i don't remember through, which one i think it was initially through deadline but i do think that variety sort of took it and then just sort of i don't yeah. want to say repeat it but they sort of they wrote their own article on it after yeah. after it had happened well somebody out there if i was wrong i have not fact checked myself on that but it's it's upsetting i think i mean i i you know i mean you know producers i i know producers i know there are people that are also fully on the side of actors and yeah. they know it but it just it does hurt when those at the very 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 top still fail to understand how what they i mean just minor concessions honestly for them i mean the yeah. fact came out that within a week of the first writer strike would have cost more money to the amptp than it would have just to negotiate the initial contract like it's it's just very frustrating and then it's hard for the actors too is that you just want it to be over so badly but you also want your guarantees you want your health care and i think what is also painful is that there are individuals out there I, i've heard of i haven't personally experienced it you know trying to get people to scab and trying to see yeah. how, you know, if somebody is, you know, that desperate or somebody will. And I don't mean, obviously, some contracts are being waived now and such. But it's just, it's also sad to see people say, like, well, if you really need the money, don't strike. And it's like, ah. <laughs> that No, that, that, that's not going to fly because... We we want it's not just the fact that it's something that the writers and actors want. It's something that if we want if we want a better future for everybody in the industry, it needs to happen. Yeah, and it's I mean it's been a trend in other industries too. If you've seen the Teamsters strike, specifically UPS has been having issues. I'm um I think the Postal Service is starting to go into ne negotiation talks. I've you know you've seen. Starbucks employees try to unionize and Amazon employees try to unionize. And it's all for protections in the sense where it's as people have seen. And I, <laughs> my dad works in politics, so I can go on a whole rant about, you know, like the economy and things and everything. So I'll keep it brief, but it's basically way more people contribute to the goods and services and everything that we have. And we don't see them every day. And just in our little tiny sphere in the arts is, there are also people a part of these strikes that you don't know. There are more people included in the SAG strike than just the celebrities or even just actors like you and me. Like there are so many yeah. pseudo behind the scenes individuals that are also a part of this that need the support. And it's just, I don't know. I just think at the end of the day, it just makes sense to play uh it fair. Yeah, and I think the the most heartwarming thing about all this, uh, and, and we'll sort of get into how both of us have been impacted in terms of our mental health since this the whole thing started. But the, the heartwarming thing is the fact that as soon as the strikes happened, like as soon as the writer strike happened, the outpour and love, not just from people inside the industry or actors or, or other writers or pe people just off of the street who are yes. coming and picketing and being a part of the conversation. Like all of this is, super important and it goes to show that the fact of the matter is in, in a time of crisis people will come together to to do something good yeah. and it's it's beautiful to see 
Now, uh, Wallace, I want to like specifically how have how have you been doing during this whole thing? Because we briefly <laughs> touched on how it, it could be better than it is right it now. It could be better. I think. I think so. My position is I think I'm faring pretty well all things considered so I uh have a day job and I've had one this whole time um uh like an administrative day job so I you know thought I was going to be able to leave it uh sooner rather than later and now it looks a lot like later um due to the strike so I think in terms of financial stability I am solid right now which is definitely a blessing that I think has been hard for everybody. For me, it's more just the emotional part. It's very hard, especially do when you do a day job all day, like I do now and continue to do it. And it can be a little draining, you know, eight hours of a day with my computer. And then I also want time to go to class and to practice and things. And it's hard to get the motivation to do that when you know, projects aren't really happening and you're tired. And so I think the hardest part has been like maintaining the creative energy at the moment um I am taking a class shout out John Rosenfeld Studios for those people out there they're amazing and it's a great community and that certainly helped but I think the hardest part has been to remember that as down as it can be and kind of like how I had just gotten an agent and I felt like I was really getting up to the next tier and now it kind of feels like I've been knocked back a couple steps that's not true it's just on pause and for everybody to take care of themselves. We don't have to be 100% productive every day in yeah. the strike. We don't have to all be Cody making this incredible podcast every single day, <laughs> which is incredible. <laughs> and, you know, if you also take the space for, for, especially for people out there, if you need time off from the industry, now is the time to do it. If you've been feeling like you want, for those of you in LA, if you need the time away from LA or New York, um, take it do some other things if you can obviously um and just take care of yourself i think has been the hardest part and i think for me is the definitely been maintaining the drive to keep practicing and keep being creative when you don't really know where that's going at the moment i think is the hardest part i i would have to agree with you there and yeah, I absolutely love working myself into the ground, as we've established. <laughs> it's a coping mechanism! <laughs> through broken pedals and through this podcast, which we can talk about this more when we bring everybody back, but yeah, in terms of working yourself into the ground, you don't know how it's being done until you make a short film where you're juggling so many hats, but uh, I do think taking time off and just taking time away from the industry is super, super important. Unfortunately, this industry does have a bad habit of preaching the fact that you should, Oh, there's only 24 hours in the day. That's great. You need to work 30. It's no, <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, it is a, it is a negative trait, which at least for me, after the strikes are over, I hope that's something that they look into because one thing that we talked about that are in, do you mean like culturally look into like, yeah, just learning that you don't need, you don't need 16 hour days to, to, to oh. make something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I understand like there are deadlines and there's a lot of stuff you got to get done and there's a lot of equipment. But no, definitely more regulation of how much time each day is, is appreciated and just kind of, 
I think I think I agree with that. Um, I'm interrupting mainly to say is I also think part of it yeah. is also the for the female term, the girl boss, like hustle, hustle culture of it all that can happen in yeah. a lot of creative industries. But with acting is also always like, well, if you're not booked, then you need to continue to hustle to do everything. And you kind of like any moment that's free should be spent being productive or doing something. And that's um, for the mental health side and anxiety that I've also dealt with outside of acting. I I was very much so like a school kid. I was always about school. So I was kind of always trained to like, you can always be getting ahead on your homework or I did sports, like you can always be practicing. So it's kind of acting in this entertainment in a way is like, well, if you're not in class, you should be networking. You should be getting drinks, like read this play, make sure you know this monologue, make sure you're connecting with producers. And it's kind of like, if you're not constantly building your brand, quote unquote, or bettering yourself, you're behind. Um, And I just think there are important pieces to all of those things. Like it's important to network when you have the space too. It's important to keep up with what kind of current trends in the industry are happening. And it's, I, I love being in class because it's the way that you can continue to grow, but it's also okay to be a person and to do other things that have absolutely nothing to do with entertainment or acting. And that's also perfectly okay because you don't get a prize. I mean, truthfully, you don't get a prize at the end of the day for hustling the most because there are also going to be people out there always who have some leg up that you don't and are going to get it with less work. And it's just, if you run yourself, Cody, if you're going to run yourself into the ground, get some sleep. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's about hard work, but it's not about working so hard that you also sometimes forget why you like the industry in the first place. Yeah. I know this isn't healthy, but <laughs> most of the, but the, the thing is, I Wallace knows this about me and most everybody knows this about me who's in my circle is the fact that I like to work like that's like I like working constantly. However, the one thing that I have picked up is I find that on Sundays, I'll probably sleep until like three in the afternoon, <laughs> three or four in the yeah. afternoon. As you should. I mean, <laughs> but I think that. One key takeaway from doing stuff outside of the industry, even if you're not taking a class, it's it's super important because the one thing that we are all trying to accomplish as actors, you don't want your acting to look like acting. And one no, of the, yeah. the, the best way that you can do that, guess what, is classes are great, but there is no better class that teaches you how to be a good actor than just living your life away from away from acting stuff like acting classes and practicing that's all good for like technique and getting you where you need to do to be able to harness your emotions and getting you ready for stage or screen or whatever but just living your life will make you the best actor you can possibly be yeah just being more than it i think is exactly it like the classes i take is like a very not um pedagogy there's no like method assigned to it it's very much so like probably the least like highbrow academic you can get in a certain way it's incredibly informative and i love it but it's again purely about just being like okay how do you think as a person to be these things but it takes into account the idea that we're all coming at something differently and we all bring a different flavor to the same line so i agree in that way where it's like the class is there to help you shape it for the acting but it's also it's very important to just also be able to be yourself and be your own person. And that comes through in your performances, but it also comes through in a way where it's 
Like I have a lot of friends who don't have anything to do with entertainment, partially just from where I'm from and stuff, but it's sometimes refreshing in that way where like it's, you can always step away. You don't have to constantly be there and you don't have to always have to be in this state or this one style and you can have other things you like to do. And I think that's always funny when people find out, especially like say like famous actors and stuff, the most famous case being Daniel Day-Lewis like loved being a shoe cobbler, I think was his whole thing. And he's incredible and like the most amazing person ever. But he was like, no, I just, I like, I think he retired to do this actually, but he's like, I like to do other stuff. Like there's more, as much as this is like the single most important thing to me in the world, there's also other things that need to, I need to make me happy. And some of that also comes from just for the mental health side of the podcast, being in and out of therapy for years. Um, yep. Years. Um, it's something that you're also told or I've been told by professionals is that if you assign all of your weight to one thing to keep you together, where maybe that uh, say like a relationship or a certain lifestyle commitment or a certain mood, state of mind, et cetera, if that's your only thing that keeps you stable and where you are and happy with your mental health, that's actually not going to go very far. You need to be able to switch things up and you need to be able to also let yourself have down moments and be able to step away from the things that either you care about or feel the most about because it will burn you out otherwise. Yeah. And I think, I think also that everything you just mentioned there is another big reason why broken pedals went off so mm-hmm. well and why we were able to get so efficient because the fact is yes everything that all of us were doing on that set is that's the stuff we all love doing the most but the fact exactly. of the matter is if you guys if you guys had like a peek behind the curtain of <laughs> what we weren't doing and what we weren't talk about talking about when the cameras and stuff weren't rolling or we were preparing shots when we were not preparing to do scenes, we were probably talking about anything besides acting or entertainment yeah. or everything. <laughs> like literally we talked, we literally talked about everything from Jerry's history in the arts to music to I believe that you were, you were traveling down to Boston at the end of that day to get to another set and then oh we, we also that talked was about the worst singular night of <laughs> that was an overnight. And I just, there's a reason I don't do overnights anymore unless it's absolutely required. <laughs> <laughs> no, full respect to people who can do that multiple days in a row. I, yeah, that was <laughs> brutal. <laughs> no overnight. Yeah, are... I exactly. Sorry to interrupt, but no, you're right. Like it, it was to just talk about other things. It, Joker, I, you have to take it seriously, but you can't take it so seriously. Yeah. And I don't know how to say anything better than that. And then it's also um, probably one of the funniest things is I remember I was, I think I was in high school and my dad showed me when Bill, did you know this? Bill Gates went and spoke at Harvard and he gave the you're not special speech. Have you I've ever seen heard this? of that. I've heard of that. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's, um, my dad wasn't showing it to me because I was like having attitude as a teenager. Or at least I hope that wasn't the intention. I love you, dad. But it was more, I think that's the other thing with art and with acting is like you need to on some level have a narcissism complex and want to believe you're special and believe you're the one and you're the person for this role and you want people to perceive you on a screen it's literally a profession about wanting to be seen um which is why it ties into so of us simply mentally ill folks out there. yep i say it's a joke but also it's 
you also the other day like half the time when i would talk to friends it's like i also have to remind myself like i'm quote unquote not special at the same time like i can't also panic about it in this way where it's like again assigning so much weight to my own self-worth with every single up and down from this industry yeah i think that's a really good point and i'm gonna i'm gonna make a to that you're not special thing i'm gonna make a a point which i wonder if people out outside of of the industry actually know about this but in the 90s there was basically a rivalry for for roles and that Mm -hmm. particular rivalry was between leonardo dicaprio and christian (laughs) bale i don't know how many people know christian bale went out for a bunch of stuff but there's a reason why he didn't get most of it and that's because leonardo dicaprio got it first (laughs) and the reason why christian bale was able to blow up is this is because Leonardo DiCaprio was cast to play Patrick Bateman in American Psycho first, but his team told him that it would ruin his career. So Christian Bale got the role and held on to it. That's crazy. I didn't know that one. I didn't know American Psycho had Leonardo DiCaprio slated first. I think what's crazier is that the interview where Christian Bale's like, oh yeah, I came up with my performance of the character by watching Tom Cruise on Jay Leno or no on one of the like really good og talk shows and i was like oh my goodness so it's him trying it's him imitating tom cruise but no you're right it's just also that's a really good example of somebody who could have been beaten down forever and forever by somebody else getting the roles first i mean emma stone and jennifer lawrence used to go out for the same thing all the time Mm -hmm. um and then they both lost alice in wonderland to mia uh wasikowski no um yeah, I think you I think you pronounced that yeah, right. I think oh, sorry if I didn't, but it's just in at the time I'm sure if I was any of them, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I'm not getting anywhere. And then of course, like look who all of them are. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how many people know that Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for the Lord of the Rings. He did? He auditioned for the Lord of the Rings. He was uh As who? Aragorn or a hobbit. No. Yeah, he was well, there's there's an interview about this. It's either Jimmy Fallon or Conan, but he got on there and, and talked about how he went in there and he, um, he kind of flopped for anybody who's interested. I'll also leave a link to, to that interview because yeah. for me, I think it's, I think it's just so, so funny. And I think mm-hmm. it is, is a good point that every, when it comes to the mental health of being in this industry, re- rejection is also just a major part of it, but it is a part that if you work on yourself, you can sort of let go. And that's sort of yeah. the goal at the end of the day. And looking at our time here, we're coming up across the hour mark. So I oh think God. I think this is a good point for us to start to slow down a little bit. And I want to move into our next section, um, which just, just a recap of everything we just said. It just comes down to this. Take care of yourself. If you take mm-hmm. care of yourself first, you can take care of everything you need to do in the industry. As stressful as it may be, you take care of yourself, you can take care of business. That's what it comes down to. So, Wallace, before we sort of leave off here, is there anything that you'd either like to A, shout out, B, you're super proud of, or like any last pieces of advice before, Ooh, we, before okay. we wrap up the show? I'll do one for the artists and one for the emotions for the title of the podcast. I think for the emotions, I shout out anybody who is outspoken um, about their mental health these days. I think 
um, to kind of wrap up the take care of yourself. Um, I, people didn't really talk about it growing up where I was um, and not even talk about it and then talk about it negatively, but it just wasn't a conversation. So um, I'll pat myself on the back for years and years and years of finally figuring out how to seek treatment. Um, I was 25 uh, when I finally was diagnosed with ADHD, hence my rambling. And it was something that for years I thought had been like a failure of mine to do certain things. So <laughs> shout out for that. Um, but also shout out myself of knowing my boundaries now of when I can work and when I can perform and when sometimes I can't. Um, and to anybody else out there, keep talking about it. You're not broken. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, and for the artist part, I think shout out to surviving doing a showcase in this spring, which was terrifying. And I think getting agent was huge, but I think more, um, I've continued to get auditions in again, not with the site with the strike. I'm still non-union, but um, get a, a, uh, auditions by myself this summer. So yeah. um, I guess that's. But to, I I think yeah. I don't have anything to promote really at the moment besides this podcast episode. But I think yeah, I understand. Proud of is um, I'm just it's crazy to be here now. Like one year ago, getting yeah. my first true lead in something. And you crushed and to be it. here and, and to be able to have this conversation and to have so much more behind me. And then also to be able to have people like you who want to talk and to be yeah. real and honest. And I think that's so special. So yeah. And I, well, I think that's a great wrap up. And since you have wrapped up, we are also wrapping up the year of 2023. And as we, oh my God. <laughs> as we come to the end I just want to give a big shout out to everybody who's either been on this podcast so far or has listened to the podcast and has had some thoughts and just a big thank you to all of you who have been here. This podcast isn't stopping anytime soon because if there's one thing I have noticed and the reason why I started this, there are a lot of podcasts that are very interviewee and they have mental health stuff sprinkled in there but it's not specifically mental health in regards to a creative lens. And Lord knows True. being in a creative space, we need it. And but also the biggest caveat, you do not need to be mentally ill to be creative and you should not prevent yourself from treating your own mental illness to be creative. You there are allowed to be stable and not and like, you don't have to be neurodivergent to be creative and you don't have to hurt yourself for your art. That is sorry. That is my one last jump in. No, I, that's, I, if I could get rid of my all of my stuff every day to perform, I would. I will tell that to people. You don't have to be in pain to perform. I think that's a great point. So you know what that means? <laughs> you don't have to be like me or Wallace to be in this industry. <laughs> that's why I got a cat. <laughs> yeah. And literally every single film that I've directed, I have written and I have also made it all about mental health every single once. <laughs> As you, you know what? No, keep the conversation going. But there is there is one last shout out. And we had, uh, as you guys have been listening, we had a major portion of this podcast dedicated to this. So a big shout out to the writers and actors and everybody else mm -hmm. who has been super supportive during the strike. Because... If there's one thing that keeps this train moving towards change that we all need, it's your support. It's going out and 
talking uh, talking about this stuff either on social media or going out to going out to the pickets and joining the writers and actors True. everything that you can do and if you know if you know somebody who is in the industry but you don't know that in- much information but they they look like they're feeling down i would recommend reaching out to them and start a conversation with them about the strike because more mm-hmm. than anything if they're aware of what's going on they will let you know and having somebody who is a friend who can understand their situation that also helps a lot so helpful exactly like, i agree i came up with this idea for a pod for the podcast over three years ago and now we've gone through the rest of 2023 doing it so for one last time for the year of 2023 this has been the artists and emotions podcast my name is cody alexander curtis and i'm your host and i certainly hope that you've been able to take something from this conversation that you can bring with you on your own mental health journey thank you so much for listening Thank you for a great 2023 and I'll see you guys next time.